What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and I've got special guest, CrossFit champ, Channing Vidal. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Glad to talk with you today. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to have you here. So, for anybody that doesn't know you, you're a Keto Dad bot on Instagram, right? Yeah, yeah. At Keto Dad on, on Instagram, kind of playing on this whole idea of like, you know, the modern guy who's like became a parent and like lost his way, that type of thing. So, it's honestly like why I, I wanted to get you on because I feel like you've got, you know, a lot of things going lots of different directions right now, yet you're, you're paying it forward, you're making waves in the keto space. I mean, you're a parent, you're, you know, staying fit, staying active. So, like, so many people look for excuses when they hit this stage in life. And here you are just freaking rising to the occasion and and getting better and better day after day. So give give the audience a little bio, kind of what, what brought you here in the first place and uh, what, what got you to where you are now? Yeah, man. So uh, the, the whole introduction into like this like diet type thing is that, um, you know, my mom and her dad and then my dad's dad on his side, they're all, they're all type 2 diabetics. And so um, that's something that growing up, we always kind of like had in the back of our mind, my, my brother and my sister and I, this idea that like if you let your health go to waste or if you're eating constantly lots of junk and sugar and those types of things, like we would see our elder folks like pricking themselves with a needle, doing the insulin shots, like having to constantly check and monitor their blood glucose. Um, and that was honestly like, especially as a kid, like you know as well as me, like the last thing you want to do is like get near a needle, right? It's like you got to go to the doctor, you fear the needle, whatever the case may be. So the idea of like doing it yourself every day was kind of a pretty scary prospect. And so um, we got first introduced to this like low carb lifestyle uh, when I was in like the seventh grade with, um, with this idea of like the Atkins diet, right? So like the resurgence of this Atkins diet happened right around the time that I was like in middle school. Um, my siblings uh, at the time were both uh, pretty overweight. And so they were looking at ways to get themselves in shape and everything like that. And so uh, my mom really kind of pushed this whole like Atkins thing for us. And so um, that really was kind of my first introduction into it. And then to be honest, I really, because of uh, some high school, you know, I dabbled in some high school wrestling, some middle school wrestling and those types of things. So the idea of like staying lean um, was a lot easier to do if I was doing like a low carb type of lifestyle. So rather than like skipping meals or doing some of these crazy things that, you know, some of the other guys would do, like walking around spitting into like a water bottle or something like that all day, which sounds weird but like for like the wrestling folks like we, we know it's all too a rea it's, it's too much of a reality that we see all the time um mm -hmm. you know I, I just basically you know i saw it as like i can eat eggs and steakums you know like for breakfast lunch and dinner and i can stay pretty lean so this was a cool way to do it but uh i think the biggest mistake for me at that point um was that i didn't i didn't understand the importance of fat all i knew was carbs are bad and for someone who's not fully developed or not researching all this stuff, and, and back then there wasn't a lot, I mean, it's not like today you get information anywhere online. Um, you know, we didn't know that, that sat we, well, we were told fat was bad, right? So, so it's like avoid the carbs and avoid the fat. So you're basically just left with protein, which as, I, as I'm sure you can attest, like if you're just running on that, uh, you, you're basically running on fumes because there's, there's no fuel happening or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. There's... um. And it's, it's kind of this weird stigma, like generationally speaking, where, you know, what you've learned from your parents has totally shifted from what we're hearing now. And it, it's cool to kind of, you know, see that progression over time. What, what are your, just out of curiosity, what are your folks, like, what's their stance on nutrition now with the information that we have? 
Uh, yeah. So, I mean, uh, first of all, what you said is exactly true. I mean, I still remember to this day, man, like when the USDA or the government, whoever was pushing this information out about how good, like when canola oil was like first developed and there was like this big push about like canola oil being a much healthier alternative. I still remember my mom like making things and cooking food and she's like, and of course she thinks she's doing like the best thing possible for her kids and talking about like, oh, well, it's made in canola oil. It's good for you, that type of thing. So I just remember all that going on. Um, my, my mom actually, uh, I, I, I joke around with her that she's like fine wine because she, in her younger days, was heavier, was battling type 2 diabetes stuff. She, she, still, um, she still has it. She's still working through that. Um, but um, in terms of like body composition, uh, I mean, she's gotten thinner and, and more beautiful with age and wiser with age. And she, she knows a lot more now, obviously, than, than she did then. Um, and then my, my dad, um, he actually back in March when he had his birthday, I think he'd finally uh, had enough of me talking about uh, all the keto stuff over the last year and a half. And so he really, he's like me where he really just digs deep into that passion and he'll really just like become obsessive and research and read everything under the sun about something. Um, and, uh, and so he jumped in, uh, keto, uh, March 29th. Um, and then he since then has gone from, uh, about a 40 inch waist down to a 32 inch waist. And, um, and he's full born, man. I mean, he's like, he's, he's gung ho with it. Um, you know, not really any cheat meals or anything like that. And, and he's always been one of these, like, you know, you got to let food be my med that medicine type of thing. And so he's really just kind of, uh, kind of taken off with it. So they're, so they're, they're doing well now they're doing really well. And then, uh, my brother the same way. My brother found that he was getting a little heavy because of uh, of work and uh, not going to the gym as often. And you know, he and I just kind of uh, you know talked a little bit and, and talked some ideas. And he just cut out the carbs and, and dropped the weight. And uh, my sister is the same way. My sister's almost down almost forty pounds doing the same thing, man. It's freaking awesome, man. Like, there's so many. I think I mean me being one of them. Like, there's so many people that I want to impact and like you know tell about the keto diet, but so many people have become resistant to you. Like they don't want to hear your advice. Like you totally have to just lead by example because if you try and push it upon anybody, they're going to just fight back, even if you're right. And like for me, I mean, it breaks my heart. Like my, my folks, my mom's played around with it some. She's seen some good success with it. My dad's against it. My brother lives off of gummy bears. I mean, it's, it's literally like, I, I don't know. It's, have you done anything or said anything or do they all come to you? Well, so it's it's interesting because my sister um, is the really she's the one that I first saw do what I now know is keto. Um, when we were younger, she between the age of fourteen and fifteen, uh, she she dropped. She got serious about it and she dropped eighty five to ninety pounds in a year. Um, I mean, like her photos, like night and day. When you look at that, like you know, she just she had such great shape that way. Um, she wasn't going to the gym a lot because obviously, you know, you're fourteen year old girl, you're self conscious um, at that time, and so like. It, one of the hardest things is is to get someone to actually get into taking back their fitness. Um, mm -hmm. But like I saw someone post the other day, I think it was like on the Diet Doctor or some website like that. Um, it was a really good meme where it talked about like diet and exercise is not a 50-50 partnership, right? Like it's it's diet is Batman and exercise is Robin. Like so it, it's more so this idea that like if you can get the nutrition right, the exercise stuff will come. And that, it seems weird to say for guys like you and me who like put fitness as such a big part of it. But we know that for most of the people that we're trying to kind of bring along on this movement, a lot of them are at a point where they've been sedentary for so long that the diet is going to be like the biggest catalyst for them to see the change. And then, and like my sister's case, like once she saw that change, well, then now she's got more self-confidence. Uh, now she's ready to put herself out there, ready to hit the fitness stuff. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. Um, 
so yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't even, I mean, I'm kind of, we're going all over the place. So I don't even know if I answered the question necessarily, but I, I think what you're getting to is that I, I do push the information out there. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I'm not going to be that guy that like we sit down and my buddies order a pizza and I'm sitting there, start talking to them about how bad it is for them. The reality is, is that, I mean, like they'll joke because they're like, Hey, they know it's keto dad bod. Like they know they're going to make the jokes and everything like that. Like I'm sure when you sit, you know, with your friends and folks that maybe aren't keto, like you're keto savage, like that's who you are. So that's, so food is part of your personality. So the jokes will be there. But generally speaking, man, I'm on board with you, which is like, it's tough to just try to push and push it on people because the reality is, is that information comes from so many different places that I think there's a combination of people are on information overload where they don't really know what to believe anymore. And that's, and that's a really mm -hmm. tough place to be. So I think when you just lead by example, I think that's kind of the, the best way to go. And, and, and folks will, will hop along if they want to and if they're ready for it. Um, but I think it's, it's even, like you talk about this with like addicts, right? Like somebody's got to be ready to make that change. And sugar, um, you know, just like any other addiction, like you got to be ready to say like you're going to take that stuff out of your life. If you're not ready to say that you're going to put down, you know, the gummy bears, for instance, um, then anything that someone tells you that gummy bears are not a part of the equation, you're not going to be susceptible to listening to. Yeah, hundred percent, man, hundred percent. I really like what you said too about you know the whole fifty fifty split diet, diet and exercise. Like so many people, and th this this is going to be strange for you and I because I mean we've kind of like self made so to speak. But you you there's people out there that that truly don't think that change is within their reach or within their grasp, and it's it's sad that, that that's a reality, but it it's it's not an actual reality. That's their perceived reality, and you know when they're able to start seeing change from what they've changed with their nutrition, uh, they're seeing that change reflected in their physique. Then they they get get that confidence because they know, okay, well, what what else can I change? What else can I have control over? And the beauty of life is that you can change anything. Like you can literally become and create your own life into whatever you want it to. And I think nutrition is probably like the easiest way to to kind of get the ball rolling, get the momentum going. Because it's it's much less intimidating, I think, than going into a gym. But once you once you get that itch, man, like it's literally the sky's the limit. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's it's one of these things where like nutrition is the most important thing. So again, like in in my field, when we talk about like things like you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs and like what people need to succeed, like the first and foremost thing you need is like you need like food, shelter, and clothing, that type of thing. And so, food being such an important part to like literally everything you do, like the energy you have to function throughout your day, like you can do anything you want with your life, you can change anything you want. And food's definitely going to be a part of it. And so I think it's one of those things where you should invest the amount of time and the amount of effort in food because it is what's fueling your body. It's what it's putting in your body every single day. And, and like, you know, I've heard folks on your podcast talk about like you got one life and you got one body. And so you got to, you want to try and like optimize it as much as possible. And so it's this whole thing of like, if you're going to invest energy and time in anything, it might as well be nutrition. And then all the other stuff, like the fitness what you want to do career-wise, like all those other different things, those things will fall into place and those things you can change incrementally over time. But literally every day, every time you pick up food, you're making a choice about like what you're going to put in your body. And I think that's like, it's like the old concept of like, you spend more than, you know, I, I don't know what the amount of time is, but you spend X amount of time in a, in a bed, right? So like, so you should have a pretty good mattress, like that type of thing, like invest in those types of things. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's crazy how how many people look at food as an as an afterthought instead of a priority. And I mean, you you look at like the compounding. Like this this is what really trips me up. Like you look at the compounding effect of what you eat over time, and 
just like a bank account or like a, you know, investment fund. And like your body is that fund and the food you put into it is like those investments and that's going to compound over time. So if it's just simply an afterthought that's not on your priority list, you're going to wind up broke, so to speak, down the road. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's, there's no better analogy than what you just said. I mean, because it's, it's one of those things where you're not going to see it. Just like if you were putting little deposits in the bank account, like you're not going to see it right away, right? It's, it's over time that those things are going are gonna to add up. And so I think that's where, you know, I'm sure you find when you're working with, with clients and folks that are trying to either lean out or change body composition, it's like everybody wants, you know, that, that magic bullet, right? Where it's like, it's overnight. And, and what I try to remind people um, is, you know, th- this didn't happen overnight, right? Like you didn't get 30 pounds overweight overnight or 50 pounds overweight overnight. Like this is going to take a lot of time. And, and in some ways, I think that's kind of where like keto and, and certainly other diets, but keto probably more so can be somewhat deceiving at the beginning because people will see like 5, 10, 15 pounds, depending on what they've got, come off like right away, maybe within that first couple weeks, first couple months or something like that. And then it kind of stalls out a little bit once your body starts to like look for its homeostasis. Mm-hmm. But it, it's this idea of reminding people that this didn't happen overnight. Like you didn't eat a tray of chocolate chip cookies and then suddenly you weighed 20 more pounds like the next day. Like it's something that happened and you now you're sitting and looking in the mirror going, where did I go wrong? Or, or how did this happen to me? It happens that slowly and, it, and it's going to come off maybe just as slowly but at the end of the day, like you can still reach that optimum health and optimum body composition, but it's going to take just as much work as it did to let yourself go too. Yeah. And even looking at it from like a, a longer term perspective in that, even if the composition doesn't change, like it, it, it will, but don't make that the priority going into it. Like just know that even if your weight stays the exact same, if you're healing yourself internally and you're giving your body more nutrient dense foods, like that alone is a win, even if the weight doesn't change. Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely Robert. I mean, when I first started this thing, I experienced exactly what you know. For like when I w- went into it, so when I dove into this keto thing, um, you know, because I was when I I guess about a year and a half ago is now is about when I jumped into it. But it wasn't because I was looking to lose weight. Like I've always been a pretty lean individual. I've always been like you know the skinny one in the family that type of thing. I mean, I've I've built built up muscle from you know crossfitting since 2011. But it's one of these things where like my step into the keto space was not because I was trying to lose weight or lean out or anything like that. It really came from the fact that I'm at work just like anybody else at their job and you know, you're, you're grinding away, you're tired and you know, you go, you have lunch, commiserate with some friends, you share laughs and then boom, like two o'clock rolls around and you're like, all right, I need coffee because I'm dying. Like I'm falling half asleep here. And then for me, at the end of that workday, I've got to go and I've got to coach some CrossFitters. And so to get up and be able to have that kind of energy to then coach CrossFitters, oh, and then by the way, go home and help my amazing wife with my kid and all the stuff that we got to do around the house, like I just wasn't having that energy. And so I know that there would be times where I'm like half asleep at 3.30 and I'm like, okay, I'm starving. I got hunger pangs. I got all this stuff and I just don't feel good. So I would reach for like the natural, like quote unquote, like bodybuilder thing to do, which is like I'd fuel up on like oatmeal with like protein powder mixed in or something like that. And I'd just heat that up quick and like just shove it down my throat. So I had something in my stomach. And I was just riding this like up and down wave of like, I feel good. I feel tired. I feel good. I feel tired. It's just like constantly day to day. I just kept thinking to myself, there's got to be something better than this. And so at that point, I reached out to one of my buddies and I was like, look, man, I, I know I've got to feel better. I got to 
put on some mass. Like I've got to, I've got to be stronger in order to be able to keep up with some of these heavy hitters, like these guys that I'm working out with. And I said, but I don't want to go through that traditional, like bulk then cut thing because I don't like feeling bloated and I don't like feeling quote unquote chubby or anything like that. Like I like staying lean and he just kind of on a whim just said, well, then you should do keto. And I was like, well, what's keto? And then of course now it sends me down this like spiral of like internet searching for two and a half hours till like three o'clock in the morning and boom, mm-hmm. the next day I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. Like I'm just going to read and learn everything about it and I'm just going to jump in and see how I feel. How did that affect your CrossFit? Like, you know, you being in CrossFit, there's a lot of people we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but just the whole stigma that, you know, keto is not really good for fast power output sports like CrossFit. Well, what, what's been your experience there? Yeah. So, so when I talked about it uh, first, I, wor- I worked with my buddy, with my, uh, a buddy of mine, Rob Orlando, and he's, he's a big deal in the, in the CrossFit space. He's one of these OGs of CrossFit, you know, been to the CrossFit game several times, that type of thing. He's, he's a high level professional athlete. So I, I bounced the idea off of him because when I started, when I was going to do the switch, it was right in the middle of the 2000 and we just did the 2018. So it was a 2017 CrossFit Open, right? Which is like this worldwide open competition. Um, and so I, I bounced the idea off of him of switching to go keto. And he was, he was pretty supportive in the sense that he was kind of like, yeah, like give it a shot. But I probably wouldn't do it in the middle of the open. Because like anybody else, like the whole thought process is, is that you're, if you're going to switch your body's energy source especially in the middle of high-level competition and high-rep competition, that type of stuff, high-intensity workouts, that you're basically going to go through the whole keto flu thing. You're going to see drops in performance and all that. Um, I was lucky enough that I didn't see that. I, I didn't see major drops in performance. Um, I think I was weary of that at the beginning, and so I was trying to research all these different ways to like help the transition. So I was doing things like getting plenty of like salt uh, on my food, uh, pink salt in my water before, during workouts, that type of thing. So I was trying to mitigate those changes. Um, but I did not personally see a major drop in performance. Um, and then I did, of course, the this past year's CrossFit Open, now a year adapted into the keto space. And um, again, I, I the, the performance is pretty much the same across the board. Um, last year, I finished 147th in my state, in my division. Then I, this year, I finished 150th, but my overall ranking was higher because more people were in the division. So it's one of those things where like, I didn't see a major change, at least in that aspect. And all of my workouts that I've tested and retested, which you, you know, we do a lot of in CrossFit, um, we use a lot of our workouts, whether it's how many things you can do for time or how long, the, long does it take you to do X amount of work, um, we use it as an assessment tool. And so it's one of those things where we'll retest workouts just to kind of see where we are performance-wise. Um, and I have seen on a bunch of my benchmark workouts, I've seen improvement in terms of my numbers. Um, but I got to tell you, man, the, the number is just a number. Um, the biggest thing that, and my biggest takeaway from the, is how I feel after the workout, which is I could do a workout prior to keto and after that workout was done, I was like shot. It was like 15 20, 25 minutes before I could like fully recover because I was lightheaded. I was experiencing hypoglycemic things. Like, you know, it's all that stuff that like once you run through that glycogen stores and that all that glucose, you basically start to bonk as, as we know from those ultra marathoners. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not something that I experience at all anymore. I mean, like is a CrossFit workout going to be hard for me? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, if you're not, if it's not, then you're probably not doing it to your fullest ability. Um, but my recovery time after a workout is so much shorter. I mean, I can sit there for five minutes, cool down, get a little water, stretch it out, and then I'm ready to go and hit another workout, you know, depending on what I got lined up that day. Um, that's not typically what I do, 
but I but I've done it and I see that now my recovery time is a lot better because of it and the soreness and the inflammation and everything from day to day is a lot better than it was prior to uh to doing the keto stuff. Yeah, man, it's interesting. I did, I did CrossFit for three months back in college, and I was doing CrossFit, but I couldn't give up the bodybuilding. So I was literally bodybuilding at four four thirty in the morning. I was doing like the CrossFit classes at night, and I wasn't keto at the time. But my joints, man, they were just screaming. Like doing both those, you know, in tandem and a day to day basis, like I could not sustain it. I'd be curious to try it now, having been keto for as long as I have, because that's one thing that I've noticed with my lifting. It's it's got some similarities with the CrossFit. Is like just the joint inflammation. And like the like squats and deadlifts, especially like all the compound movements, and you do even more compound movements in your sport, like the the clean and jerks and all all that jazz. But I mean, that with with joint pain is is just miserable. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I mean, I think that um, you know about I, I guess it was like four or five, maybe six months ago. At this point, I don't even know. But um, I was I was doing the keto thing, and one of the things that I did notice though, that I was getting tons of. Uh, inflammation in my left elbow. Actually, I talked to uh, to Danny and Brian about this, and so my my elbow was so inflamed that I was coming in, and it was basically like a, I guess they call it like a golfer's elbow because it was like the inside of the elbow. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the outside is like they call it like tennis elbow, but see, the inside of my elbow is like really inflamed, um, especially on my forearm and everything like that. So it got to the point where forget it like picking up a barbell for a clean or something like that i couldn't even like open my door man like pulling on like my door the door handle was hurting to close my hand and i remember talking to my family about it and talking to um you know my uh my my, my good buddy joel is a, is a weightlifting coach and i was talking to him about it because he's a golfer and he experiences that a lot too and um and and so somehow i, I think I, I think it was like amber o'hearn that i saw talking about it and talking about inflammation and joint pain and things and how she um, rid herself of that when she went like full-blown carnivore. And so that really, I was like, well, you know what? Let me just play around with it because at this point, my workouts are suffering because I can't even hold the bar. So if I can't hold the bar, I'm certainly not going to be able to clean 200 plus pounds. So I got to the point where I just gave that a shot and I just started getting rid of a lot of the vegetables and things out of my diet and I just stuck to like the animal products, you know, plenty of butter, bacon, uh, you know, beef, that type of thing. And what I saw, and again, we've, we've heard anecdotes of this. I don't know that I have science to support it, but what I saw is that I haven't had elbow pain since. I'm still doing the same amount of high rep pull-ups. I'm still doing things like Murph. I'm still cleaning you know, on a regular basis, high repetition stuff that, require, that would in some ways would make my elbows hurt, like snatching and things like that. But I just don't feel that pain anymore. Um, and my digestion and, and stuff and all those types of issues got a lot better when I got rid of some of those vegetables. So is it the veggies? I, I don't know, maybe. Um, but what I know is that like this keto thing has definitely put me in a position where I can recover a lot faster and go day to day with workouts. So time frame wise, how long have you been keto now in total? So I switched over in uh, March of 2017, right? We just had March 2018. So March of 2017 is when I like switched to what I would call like quote unquote like keto. Like I was low carb on and off for quite some time, but like full on keto was March of 2017. Um, and then you went and, carnivore uh, when? Yeah, probably like six months ago. Gotcha. I think gotcha. At this point. Yeah, about six months ago at this point. I, I still, I, I'm not, you know, it's, it's one of these things where like, like if, if asparagus happens to make its way onto my plate, like I, if I'm out to eat or something like that, like I'm not going to make a fuss about it and maybe I'll have a bite or two or something like that. But I just find that when I got rid of things like, especially like broccoli and tomatoes, um, digestive issues like were like much much better, and inflammation was much much better. Um, my wife's actually found that as well too. Like for her, like tomatoes is just like 
like she wants to love them, but they don't want to be loved. They don't want to love her. It is just that it's been that way. So. Yeah, man, I, I love tomatoes. Like I, I literally used to eat tomatoes like apples and obviously neither, <laughs> neither are perfect for keto, but tomatoes, as far as vegetables go, I mean, they're just jam packed full of sugar. And I've had clients that, you know, also didn't want to give up tomatoes and then they would test their glucose, you know, pre and post perennial and inevitably their glucose would always be so much higher. I mean, tomatoes, they're just, but the whole take on vegetables in general, like people need much less vegetables than they think they need. And then they're told if they have everything else well formulated and ticking along quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing with tomatoes, I mean, I've, I've, I've read a lot about the amount of like lectins that are present in them. And so for a lot of people that can be pretty inflammatory or can lead to a lot of these digestive issues. But I'm like you, man, like I remember as a kid grabbing tomatoes and, and biting them like apples just because I just love the way they taste, especially like right out of the fridge. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, but yeah, apples is another thing too, man. Like that's one, of, I, I gotta be honest, like when it comes to like the quote unquote like sweet tooth type thing, like if I'm going to have like a sweet tooth, like an apple with like peanut butter, an apple with some almond butter is like, I would still love to do it as a go-to, but I just, I can't do it regularly, man, because I find that even if it's, that's the one carb that I've had that day, it just like bloats me up, man. And I, I don't know what it is, but it just, I don't feel right after I eat it. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And it, I think, I think people just don't realize how much they get bloated and how negatively it impacts them until they start cutting it out. Because I mean, somebody could eat a whole bunch of carbs, a whole bunch of fruits and veggies and then say, oh, they've never been bloated. But then they like don't have any frame of reference. Whereas if they do keto, then they look back on those days. It's like, oh, wow, yeah, I used to be bloated all the time. I had poor digestion. And then, you know, when you just start t removing that stuff as a variable and you just give yourself clean food, there's going to be much less waste. I mean, there's there are people always worried about constipation and stuff on keto. But if you're putting in less crap, there's going to be less crap. Yeah, no, I, absolutely, man. I, I get that question a lot too when, when people see what I'm eating and they're just like, well, where's the fiber? Like, how are you going to the bathroom? That type of thing. And rest assured, there's no problem there. So it's like, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of like chuckle about. But to your point, one of the, uh, one of the girls that I was working with and um, we got her to go, to go keto, one of the things that I'll never forget is the way she put it to me. She was like, I didn't know how bad I felt until I felt this good. And she realized then when she kind of like steered away from keto for a short period of time, again, it got back to that point where she was just doesn't feel right, doesn't feel good. So she's back on it full bore. And, and she just, that's one thing that'll always stick with me. It's like, you don't know how bad you feel until you feel really, really good. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people get into the diet because they want, you know, like, like we were saying earlier, the compositional improvements, they want to lose that body fat, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But then they oftentimes stay on it. I mean, the reason I'm staying on it is just simply from the, the mental clarity aspect and obviously the long-term health benefits. But people stay on it because they realize they have, they then have that frame of reference of, okay, this is what I'm capable of, what I'm truly optimized. I mean, why in the world would I want to go back? I mean, some people, it, it blows my mind that some people can feel that good and then still go back to like, you know, a substandard living with, with just the crap food, just so they, they can fit in more to social environments. But to me, and that's not worth it. I mean, it's not worth it for me to sacrifice my health and performance and optimization just so that I can, you know, feel guilt-free and eat, you know, all the crap in the world with my buddies from college. I mean, it's just it's not worth it. Absolutely. I mean, and if, it's one of these things where like we can like dive down like this whole big rabbit hole of, you know, long-term health benefits in terms of like on your mental health, which is really, really awesome stuff and some of the work that, you know, that Carrie Brown's doing with it that Amber O'Hearn was talking about. Like these folks that have literally cured mental bipolar type stuff and gotten themselves off medication and everything because of it. We know that this thing came about as a way to treat 
epilepsy, different brain disorders, and all this different type of stuff. And there's a lot of good research being done out there as it links to things like Alzheimer's and the link between Alzheimer's and type 2 diabetics. And it's like, hey, look, 80% of them, you know, are, are 80% of these Alzheimer's patients that have type 2 diabetics. In one study that I saw, and I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty strong correlation there. Um, we don't know ultimately at the end of the day, like what it's going to do for us, for guys like you and me, like what it's going to be like 20, 30, 40 years from now for us. And are we going to be in a better place, yay or nay? But we know from looking at some of our older folks and our older counterparts and the people that we work with, we see the disease and the types of things that they're encountering based on going the other route, based on these low fat, high carb, highly processed, ultra processed foods. And so we know that that's not the right way. So maybe this is the answer. Maybe this is the alternative that we need. And and who knows, man, maybe 20 years from now, it didn't work out, but but I'm, I'm willing to bet, like if I had to put my money on something, I think we're onto the right thing because we're leaner, we're feeling better. Like those are all really, really good signs that, that we're onto something big here. Yeah. And like a lot of people make the argument um, that, you know, long-term effects can be negative. There's not, honestly not a whole bunch of like really good, solid long-term, you know, research papers or anything published for us to like look at what's going to happen down the road. But to me, just like common sense wise, if, if I'm feeling and performing better now, it doesn't make sense that I'm honestly just going to like hit this tipping point in which everything's going to go downhill in the future. Like if I'm feeling and performing better now, I would assume that would carry forward into the future. <laughs> it just me makes common sense. Right. I mean, it goes back to that same analogy that you used about making these small deposits. Like you're making these small choices every single day and you're feeling great every single day. Well, it stands to reason that you're building this, you know, pyramid of health on this really good foundation. So down the road, I, I don't see where all of a sudden one day you just are completely debilitated because obviously we would see signs of that, you know, early on. Um, exactly. And, I, and one of the things I guess we could, we can chat about, and I don't know if you've had it done recently or anything like that, but so I did, I did blood work June of 2017, like three months into keto and then blood work afterwards. And when and looking at all that different stuff, man, I mean, like my health markers aren't bad. So it's one of these things where like, I, I think we're on to the right thing here. Out of curiosity, did you get your testosterone check pre and post? No, that I didn't do. Um, I wish I would have. That That's not actually something that I did not get checked um, was testosterone pre and post. Um, the other thing that I do want to get looked at is that um, it's like a cardiac, it's like a cardiac scan or something like that. I, I forget the actual name mm -hmm. for it, but like there's like a whole thing about like, you know, they call it like the widow maker or something like that, where it's like basically checking out how much calcifications happen on your arteries and things like that. Yeah, the calcification score. Yep, yep, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I want to get that done. I, I wish I'm kicking myself for not getting my testosterone checked pre and post keto, though, because I'd, I'd be very curious to see how and if, you know, by how much that's been affected, especially going, going forward, like over the years. Um, and I think right. that's a very interesting marker as well. Well, so and I and I not to not to throw him under the bus or anything like that, but so my you know my dad when he when he switched over into this thing uh, a few months back, he was I mean he's he's he just turned fifty six, fifty six or fifty five. So I either made him younger or older. But um, when he when he uh, what he's told me is that in terms of like the way he's feeling, um, you know he he likes to ride motorcycles a lot, and so one of the things he was telling me before doing the keto stuff is that from an energy level, which which I would tie to a testosterone thing in, in a, in a mid fifties male. Um, from an energy level, it's totally different. Like he's like his energy is through the roof. And one of the big things he noticed is that things like ripping onto and revving the bike and holding onto the handles for these long drives, um, he's not having to stop as much to shake out the pain or having weakness in his grip or anything like that. So um, again, 
I, I don't know the science on it. I, I'd, I'd have to talk to him and, and certainly um, encourage him to get that type of thing checked because I'm sure it's something he'd pay attention to his, in, a, in his 50s. But um, what I can tell you is he says that uh, he thinks his testosterone is in the right direction. So I think you can read into that whatever it is that you uh, <laughs> you want to, you know? Yeah, yeah. We'll keep it G rated here. <laughs> exactly. Very good, very good. Yeah, I think, I mean, you look at the, the structure of it at all. I mean, keto oftentimes increases your good cholesterol, testosterone, precursor testosterone is, you know, cholesterol. So, I mean, you increase your cholesterol in a positive way with keto, then, I mean, by default, I would assume that your testosterone is going to improve as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think people, you know, there's there's a lot of, because of all the negative attention that's been put towards cholesterol and the way it's been demonized, um, people are, don't realize, especially guys, that, you know, your testosterone levels are, are are very closely related to higher levels of of uh, of cholesterol, and so it's one of these things where everybody's trying to take you know these statins and all these things to lower their cholesterol, and they don't realize or fully understand what it's doing to their testosterone levels. And that's that's something that I would pay close attention to, especially if you're someone that's like really concerned about cholesterol stuff. I mean, everything that I've read about it and everything that I've read about in terms of saturated fat and all these different things and what they do, like. A lot of the science is supporting that, you know, one, not only is it not a direct relation to heart disease, but that it's super important to have cholesterol for basically every function in your body, including testosterone. And as a dude, like that's something that we're going to pay attention to. Yeah, 100%, man. Absolutely. And that, that's why so many of the natural bodybuilders that I've competed with, like they just have like such a negative rebound. They screw up their hormones for like months to come because they, they take their fat down super, super low when they're in their contest prep and they basically just totally wipe out their testosterone levels. And then that's not something that repairs overnight, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about doing like long-term metabolic damage. I mean, we, we see a lot of it that, right with like yo-yo dieting stuff when people go into these massive caloric restriction type stuff on these yo-yo diets and then all of a sudden they're gaining weight or they gain excess weight when they rebound off of them. That is something that, yeah, I mean, you could really mess with your metabolism and your hormones for, you know, six months to a year from some of the studies that I've looked at. And, and that's one of those things that you don't realize that's a long-term type of damage that you can do. Um, I know that from, you know, the work that I did, the, the blood work that was done for me, I mean, nothing really drastic changed in terms of like, the, you know, the whole concept is like, you're going to go keto. People fear that cholesterol is going to go through the roof. Me personally, I don't care. Like high cholesterol, low cholesterol. I mean, I'd much rather have higher cholesterol based on what I think I know and based on how I interpret the literature out there. Um, but what I saw in a year was, I mean, minimal change like june 2017 ldl was 137 ldl june 2018 was 142 the hdl went from 72 to 70 on that day total cholesterol changed by three points so it's one of these things where like i look at that and i'm like that's not a major change and yet all i've been eating is saturated fat for the last year um things that do people should really care about like you know your vldl and, and things like triglycerides and stuff Triglycerides went from 78 when I started this thing to 52 a year later. So yeah. those are on the way down. And um, there's one other thing that I remember I was looking at was, oh, it's like, so the, you know, like the people look at like the hemoglobin A1C score and things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to make sure like you have a pretty good score. I guess like the reference age is like 4.8 to like 5.6 or something. Mine mm -hmm. was 5.3, which is fine from everything I've read, um, which is, that's something that I would pay attention to just because... I know that type two diabetics runs in the in the family, so it's something that I'm certainly going to pay attention to, is making sure that you know I'm not one way or the other, you know, uh, getting into it's something that I got to be worried about with uh, with insulin and everything like that. 
Yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of like what we were saying earlier about the fiber, man. Like you have to, like so many people take what they've heard in the past as it pertains to a, like a standard American diet and kind of like the reference range there and they apply it to keto, but you have to totally throw all that stuff out the window and look at it from a different scope because the fiber is going to be different. The cholesterol is going to be different. Like everything's going to be different and you have to look at it differently or else it's just all going to look negative. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I think that um, a lot of the stuff that like they're doing with cholesterol code and, and, and that Dave Feldman's doing, I mean, he, you're talking about looking at things totally different, really looking at things like your HDL versus your triglyceride scores, those types of things. Like um, even something like a fasting blood glucose. I mean, like I've heard guys like, you know, these like high performance athletes, like a guy like Sean Baker has like a higher blood glucose, but then he tests his insulin and his insulin, he's like super insulin sensitive. And so mm -hmm. it's one of these things where like, you really have to look at something like blood work and recommend daily values and all this different stuff. You have to look at it in the larger picture and you got to have context behind it because a lot of people can just look at these one, this one marker, this one thing, and then draw a lot of conclusions when in reality, you got to look at the whole puzzle and see, you know, and, and again, it's one of these things where like, if my markers, and this probably sounds bad, but like if my markers were totally off the, off the walls, I don't know that I would make any dietary changes just because I feel very, very good. And I know that sounds yeah. kind of crazy, almost like dogmatic, but I don't want to go back to not feeling like this. Yeah, 100%, man. I think you're dead on the money there. Um, what, what, real, totally random switch in direction here. How, how old's your daughter? So my daughter just turned four at the end of June. Uh, yeah, so, and, I'm, and I'll be 31 soon. So we, uh, yeah, we had her, we actually, we were from, we were living in South Carolina when she was born. Um, and we up and moved here to the Northeast, which is like where we're originally from. Uh, we're originally from New Jersey. So like we're nice and close to like our family now. Um, but obviously, you know, being down there away from family with a six month old at the time, it, it's pretty tough. I mean, you, you know, you, you want help, you want to be around family, that type of thing. So, uh, so we made the choice to, to move up here. What has it been like? This is your first, right? Yeah. 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 She's our only. Yeah. So what, what's the, what's the transition like from being, you know, fit, athletic, you know, guy without kids to now you're a parent, father, and you got a little more on your plate to, to manage. Yeah. The, the reality is, is I, I think I'm, in fact, and my numbers show that I'm, I'm stronger and I'm fitter now than I was even before I, before I had a daughter. And I think a lot of that probably goes to the fact that it's one of these things where you can appreciate as, as a, as a businessman, all the stuff you got going on is that if you have a lot of things on your plate, there's a higher likelihood that you're going to um, try to be as efficient with your time as possible to make sure that you're doing the best that you can in, in all the different aspects of the things you got going on. So that, again, kind of goes back to this whole concept of like, I work in a college setting. And one of the things we tell incoming students when they come here is don't just show up and go to class and then hang out, you know, and for hours on end playing Xbox. Like, Try to get involved, try to get things on your plate because I think the fear from folks is, well, I don't want to go in and try to manage too many things at the same time. And, and that's understandable, but the reality is, is that most people, if they set, if they have these priorities and they have these different things going on, like they're going to make better use of their time and they're going to be more efficient with these things. And so that's what I found with being a husband and being a parent, having a full-time job, being a coach, and then also focusing on my fitness is that where I probably in the past would have taken, you know, an hour and a half to two hours of just kind of like lollygagging through my workout routine or something like that and, and really not getting after it. I know that my time is finite in terms of what I've got to do. And so I've poured my attention into hitting these high intensity workouts, 
as hard, as fast as I can, um, you know, depending on what, what I got going on um, for that day, but I try to make the best of it. And I have found that because I'm paying attention to that, like I'm in a much better place now than I was, uh, you know, even in, at 21 or 22 or 23 or anything like that. Like before my daughter, I certainly wasn't in the shape that I am now. And so my message to people and what I try to get people to understand is that like, there's always going to be something in the way. There's always going to be something else to do, but your fitness and your health shouldn't take a back seat. And to be honest with you, I mean, you guys, you guys people could scroll through my Instagram and, and, and look at it, but most of the workouts that I'm doing are 15, 20 minutes long. If I'm doing a 30 or 40 minute workout, that's considered like a long lot. Like it's a long hero workout or something like that, something like Murph. Um, but most of the things that I'm doing is like, it's get in, loosen up 15, 20 minutes, boom, and I'm out the door and that's it. I really, really admire the fact that you have not only stayed on top of your game, but you've improved your game since having a kid. I don't have a kid yet. I'm not qualified to make this statement, but I'm going to make it anyways, which is that I, I feel like just in observation, people, so many people use having a kid as a like scapegoat excuse compound to just let their health go to hell. And that's it's just a sad reality. And I think, I mean, and not just kids, either, like, like just jobs or careers or anything, but it's such a sad reality. I hate to see people use their kid as an excuse to why they can't work out, can't eat healthy. And then they just like, it's easy to become an excuse because like, oh, I'm doing it for the kid. Like I'm wanting to spend more time with the kid. But in reality, you're only taking, I mean, you're robbing P Peter to pay Paul because you're only removing time that you'll be able to spend with that kid later in life if you're letting your health go to hell. So I really, you know, tip my hat to you for, for not making that excuse and, and just thriving as a result of it. Yeah, man, I, I can tell you that um, my kid is, is full of energy, uh, like a lot of other kids, and she's constantly running around, constantly, you got to chase her everywhere. And so it's one of these things where if, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing to make sure I'm taking care of my health, like I wouldn't be able to keep up with her. And, and my wife's the same way. So like, our, you know, a typical day for us, like it's when I, when I, you know, when I work out after work and I work out or I coach a class or something like that, when I'm done coaching that class, like my wife will show up at the gym at six thirty, seven o'clock. I'll give her something to do 15, 20 minutes, cross the style workout. And during that time, like what am I doing? I'm running around the gym with my kid. Right. So we're, we're running around like her, her biggest thing now is like, you know, the gymnastics rings that she loves getting on the gymnastics rings and just like swinging back and forth, that type of thing. So whether it's doing that or like we've even posted like, you know, crazy videos of like my daughter doing burpees alongside my wife and things like that. But the whole idea that's like your kid doesn't have to be a crutch. And the reality is, is that kids don't like, kids like rarely pay attention to what you tell them. Um, and, I, and I think this is something that like, you know, like someone like Danny would be able to echo this. I like kids don't really pay attention to what you tell them. What they do is they're going to do what you do and they're going to emulate your behavior. So if you lose your cool and you're screaming and things like that and you're, and you're getting lost in your temper with your kid or something like that, which I'm guilty of, I think like any other parent, um, they're going to notice that. And so you're going to sit there and tell them that they have to behave a certain way or compose themselves a certain way. But in their mind, they know that you haven't done that in the past or they've watched you do that. And so the same thing goes true with this fitness thing, which is I love to see my wife rowing and box jump and tossing wall balls and heavy cleans and that type of stuff because it's not just good for her, but my daughter sees that. And what my daughter is seeing is women are strong and they're fierce and they're a force to be reckoned with. And that's a message that I need her to know 
at a really early age so that she can never get to the point where she feels like she can't do anything that myself or anybody else can. Because I noticed that at like two or three years old, um, she would ask me questions. Like we would, we'd watch soccer on, on like TV or football or something like that. And she would look at it and she'd be like, dad, I wish I was a boy so I could play this. And right away, I realized that I had to get in her mind that this is something that, you know, gender has nothing to do with it. This is about how hard are you going to work to achieve whatever goal that is in fitness, in life, in business, whatever it is, you're going to be who you are and you're going to be the best woman at it or, or, or whatever. Um, and it doesn't matter what your gender is and you're not going to be limited by that type of stuff. So again, it goes back to like, yeah, like you're spending time with your kid. I'm running around with my kid and she's got a role model in her mother sitting there lifting things. Um, and I laugh because, you know, to be honest, like I, I'm a recreational crossfitter, right? Like I'm not going to qualify for regionals or something like that, but I'll snatch or I'll hit a heavy clean and my daughter will come over and she'll be like, dad, you're so strong. And like, that's kind of, you know, it obviously it makes me feel good and I'm trying to set a good example for her. And so that's what we try to do is just find whatever way we can to get my daughter seeing that type of stuff. And so that our fitness is excelling. My daughter's running around. She's getting her heart rate up as opposed to just sitting in front of her TV. And we're building a foundation for her to like this type of stuff. She doesn't have to be a crossfitter, but at least she's into fitness, has some idea, some concept of physical preparedness and that type of thing. I freaking love it, man. Like I got goosebumps right now. Like the, the, the way you're approaching that whole parenting mentality, I mean, leading by example there, kind of what we were talking about earlier. I mean, that I think is absolutely 100% key. Like parents that, that do one thing and then tell their kid to do something else, they have no right to tell their kid to do the other thing. I mean, leading by example and you know, empowering her as a female. I mean, that's, that's freaking rock solid, brother. Yeah, man, we're, we're trying, man. I, I, I got to tip my hat to my wife because she, she's, you know, she's someone that, again, she's, she's balancing being a mom. She balances a full-time job. I mean, she, and her fitness and she, she's all over the place. And, and the reality is, is that I think in most cases, and, and I hate to make sweeping generalizations, but I think in most cases, like mom gets taxed with so much more of that type of stuff. And, and, and so, you know, She's got to be like my my daughter's therapist and support system and role model and provide food on the table. Like it's like she's being pulled in all these different directions. That what we're what I'm trying to do is do my best to support them in that type of thing. Um, but again, going back to that point is like they're going to emulate whatever it is that you put out there for them to emulate. And so that would be like me sitting there and throwing back a bag of peanut M&Ms, which man, I would love to do, but then turn around and say to my daughter, Hey, you can't eat that. It's not good for you. That type of thing. It's going to rot your teeth, right? Like they're seeing that and they're, and they're paying attention to what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, what, what's your daughter's take on like keto and like kind of what are y'all approaching that with, like with regard to her nutrition? Yeah. So, so what we found is that, um, we're, we're trying to, now that she's getting older, now that she's understanding a lot of it, um, she's starting to determine and, and, and let us know and make decisions, distinctions between what's junk food, what's good food, that type of thing. Now, she still will want some junk food. Like she's still going to ask for things like a Nutrigain bar or something like that, which to some people it's like, well, it's healthy. It's a Nutrigain bar, but you and I and everybody else knows that's garbage. Um, at least everybody in our, in our world. Um, and so it's, it's trying to balance those things. So we've, we've moved her away from things like having cereal for breakfast all the time. Um, and mm -hmm. she's, uh, she's really getting into like just eggs, right? Like plain stuff. She's always liked bacon. She's always liked salmon. So we've lucked out there. Like she likes bacon. She likes salmon. Um, eggs are, her, are a good thing for her too. 
Um, when, when we're going to do the pancake thing, I've got a pretty good keto pancake recipe, so I try to make those. Um, and what we're finding is that now that she's older, if you can get her to invest in helping you make those types of things, um, that, that helps her want to eat it as opposed to me just putting something on her plate and then she decides that she doesn't want to eat it. If I let her like help us out in making those things, she's going to be more inclined to actually like want to try it. Um, and once she tries it, she's going to realize it's pretty good. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because we had this like when she was like two or three, uh, she went through like this spell where all of a sudden she didn't, she never had ground beef, but then like she had a burgers at a family barbecue and she was like crushing burgers left and right. And it was like, I mean, I, I was in heaven, right? Like my daughter's eating bacon, and eggs and crushing burgers. Um, and she's really never been a big bread pe- kind of person, which is good because I don't have to have the bun argument with her. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but for some reason, she has like an aversion. It's like she doesn't like red meat now. So it's like as, as she gets older, I'm kind of wean her back into it. But uh, turkey, salmon, um, bacon, eggs, all those types of things we've been pretty good with. Um, but to be, to be honest, man, I, I see a lot of that and a lot of the credit goes to um, Danny Vega, Mara Vega, like the stuff that they're doing online with their kids and fat-fueled kids. Like, watching the way that they get um, their kids, Desmond and Dean, to like really get involved in the creation of their food, that has been like such a light bulb for my wife and I. Um, my wife and, and my daughter made like a keto lemonade um, using some like very like a little bit amount of xylitol um, and some lemons and things like that. And it was like a huge hit. Like my daughter absolutely loved it and she's drinking something that's going to be quote unquote refreshing, but then also like I know it's going to be good for her as opposed to like, mm-hmm. you know, stuff out of like a Minute Maid pouch or something like that. How do you approach the whole situation of like she goes to a friend's house or something and, and the friend's parents are like giving them out candy and cookies and whatnot? What was the best way to tackle that? Well, so I think for us right now, we've kind of lucked out in that most of the most of the stuff is like it's, you know, kids that come over to like our place or something like that. Um, and so we typically try not to have a whole bunch of snacks and things like that around. Um, I'm sure that'll be tougher as she gets older and having more play dates and things like that. But you know, she does, she is in daycare full time at like me and my wife work full time. So she's in daycare. And so they'll have things like cupcakes or pretzels and things like that on like for snacks and stuff. And so, you know, I try to just, it's one of these things where I just try to educate. It's like the same thing we were talking about earlier with, uh, with like your fellow person, like with your you know friends and stuff. It's like, I'm not going to like throw it down her throat and just constantly be on top of her about it. But I'll just say to her, Hey, like, what'd you have at school today? And she's like, well, they brought in cupcakes or something. I say, Oh, did you have a cupcake? And she's like, yeah, I had one. And so I'll be like, well, so like, is a cupcake good food or is it junk food? She's like, it's junk food, dad. Cupcakes aren't good food. And so like, yeah, she'll eat it. But right now what I'm trying to do is just have her build an awareness of it. And hopefully in time, she'll realize that it's not the best route to go. Um, but, uh, but again, it's one of these things where like, I'm not, I got to pick and choose my battles with my kid. And I try to take that same approach that I take with people, which is like, I'm not going to sit there and tell them, don't put this in your mouth. Don't eat this thing. Um, but I do know other folks that take a stronger stance on it, which is, hey, like you're paying the bills, you're controlling the groceries, and as a result, you control what the kid eats, which you can do that 99.9% of the time. You can do 100% of the time if the kid's never interacting in like somebody else's place. But the reality is, is like she's going to have school, and I'm not going to be the guy that makes her like the one little girl who can't touch anything. You know what I mean? Like can't have a cupcake or a pretzel or anything like that. I'm just going to hope that I can fill her enough on salmon and eggs and those types of things where she's not going to want that. And and what we found is pretty good success with that, which is if you feed her enough of like the good stuff, she doesn't have much, I mean, she's a small kid, so she doesn't have much big stomach. So she's like, has less and less of an appetite for that other stuff. So maybe she'll take one or two bites out of the cupcake or lick some frosting, but then she's kind of like, okay, I'm done. And so it's kind of like, we're mitigating as best as we can. 
I love it, man. I think that's the honest, probably the best way to go about it. Cause then you're like, if you just had like this whole extremist attitude towards it, like they're not going to eat anything. Then like any time they were in a situation outside of your control, like it would just fester into this like controlling, just, it would just be bad. It'd just be downhill from there. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife is, uh, it's actually pretty funny that my, you say that because my wife grew up, I mean, my, my mother-in-law is really, really meticulous about what she eats. Um, but even growing up, like my wife wasn't allowed to have like, you know, French toast crunch or like Captain Crunch, it was like really like quote unquote like the good stuff, like the good cereals. She'd have to settle for like mm-hmm. regular Cheerios and that type of stuff. And so because she wasn't allowed to have a whole lot of junk food and stuff, like my wife developed like a really good sweet tooth and uh, and she'd love all those different types of things. So I'm hoping to like not have that blow up in my face down the road. Um, so I'm trying to kind of mitigate that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, that's that's my that's my my wife in the old days. Now she's, she's full blown keto now, so she doesn't get through with that stuff anymore. What's your uh, pancake recipe? Um, so it's it's four or three eggs, three whole eggs, and then one egg yolk, and then four ounce cream. So it's equal parts cream cheese. Uh, I do half a teaspoon of it's half a teaspoon of baking powder, and I do two tablespoons of coconut flour. I've tried it with almond flour in the past, but I feel like the coconut flour sticks a little better. I literally just throw those things into the uh, into a, like a magic bullet, blend it up, and then pour in a hot skillet. I'm pretty sure I had seen it on Instagram from a bunch of different people like sharing that particular recipe, and I was like, this seems like the easiest thing to make. Um, I've seen some really really good pancake recipes that um, I think you even had a, a, a pretty good one on one of your videos or something like that you had posted. Um, but for me, when when people start going down the road of like when I read like separate eggs from the whites yeah. and do all this different stuff, dude, that's when Simplicity. I get lost, man. That's, I'm just like, I, I need it easy. I need it really easy, a lot easier than that. And so when I have to start separating things and having multiple bowls out, like that's kind of where they lost me, to be honest. Wait, so you said four parts, so uh, equal parts, like four tablespoons of cream cheese, two to the four eggs? Uh, yeah, so yeah. So for the four, egg, the, the, the four eggs, four, equal parts cream cheese, yeah, so four ounces of cream cheese. Um, and I usually make it just like that. I find that like I've tried to do like less cream cheese in the past. Um, but the, but what I find is that it doesn't, it doesn't stick together as well. Um, so I think the cream cheese is, is pretty integral to making it all like work the way it's supposed to. What do you do for the syrup? For the syrup, I'll try to go with some sort of like sugar-free syrup, which I know is not like the best, um, in terms of like depending on where you get it from and the ingredients that they'll use. I know a lot of some good stuff is coming out from, I think there's like one company, I think it's called like Lacanto or Lacanta or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's on Amazon that they do some pretty good stuff using like monk fruit now. Um, but most of the time, man, it's like just uh, some sort of like sugar-free syrup and some sort of like peanut butter or something like that. Um, what I have found though is like, like I think a lot of people find with like these different sweeteners is like you'll react differently to these different artificial sweeteners. Like for some people, you know, maybe like a sucralose won't bother you, but like a stevia will, or I don't even know like all the different ones that are out there. But I found that there was like one that I was using um, that when I would eat the pancakes afterwards, I would feel like real tired. And I'm wondering if it was like whatever my reaction was to that particular sweetener, if it was making me like hypoglycemic. Um, and so I switched to a different one, which was like fine. It was a generic like store brand one. But um, I really do have to uh, either A, find a good syrup recipe or start getting some of that monk food stuff that's out there and, and try- give that a try. Yeah, man. Sweeteners, like I've, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole on sweeteners lately. And like so many sweeteners, even if like they don't impact your blood glucose so much, they can still elicit like an unwanted insulin response. 
So I've mm-hmm. just kind of played around with just cutting them completely. And having done that, honestly, like I don't crave them anymore. Like I used to, I used to be really bad about chewing gum. I would chew literally like four packs of gum a day. And Dude, that's, that's you know, my life, man. Like I, like, yeah. I love gum. <laughs> it was bad, man. I was a chain chewer for sure. But I mean, you start counting the the grams of carbs that add up in a, you know, a pack right. of gum, much less four packs. I mean, that's freaking like <laughs> 30 grams of carbs right there. So I've pretty much cut that cold turkey. I cut all my sweeteners and it's, it's, it's been good. I mean, obviously like pancakes, I mean, I don't know, you kind of want something on there for the pancakes. I'm, almond, almond butter is a good alternative for sure. Yeah. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Almond butter. Um, I also find too, like, cause I think what it is with the pancakes, man, is that like, it's, it's one of those things that for me, it's always been about like having it like nice and moist and like easy to like chew, um, mm-hmm. and, and not getting like super dry. So I think the, the almond butter, and then if I typically do something like a, like an, like a glass of like almond milk or something like that, like the unsweetened stuff, that's good too. I mean, that'll, that'll satisfy what I'm trying to do, which is just basically make it a little easier to like to eat. Um, mm-hmm. but to be honest, man, I've kind of got, I've gotten away from doing a lot of the pancake stuff. Um, just because you know, four eggs in the morning, um, and some bacon is just like, it hits the spot. I feel great. I don't feel bloated. Um, and so that's kind of really been my go-to is, uh, you know, is eggs, bacon, and then some sort of uh, keto coffee type of, uh, concoction, whatever I'm making that morning. I like it. I like it. Um, another random question. I'm kind of just spitfire all different angles here at you with regard to CrossFit. Um, what what is the biggest mistake that you see in, in CrossFitters? Like if they could yes. if you could pick one thing that they need to work on, what would that be? Yes, awesome. Um, all right. So I've I've had the opportunity now to work two years uh coaching for like I said, my buddy Rob, who's who's been in the CrossFit game since two thousand and eight, I believe is is when he started it. Um one of the biggest mistakes that I make and that I've learned from him about it is that people try to make crossfit this uber competitive thing all the time and the reality is is that crossfit started as a way to get people generally fit right not be an expert at one thing not be very good at just one thing right it it didn't start as this professional sport if it did then it would be something like weightlifting right like people that train their entire life to snatch and clean and jerk two movements but that's their professional sport um Mm -hmm. crossfit started as this idea of getting everybody fit and the founder of crossfit talks about the fact that like the needs of your grandmother or your grandparents from the average person only vary based on degree not by type like grandma still got to be able to squat down and up off the toilet she's got to be able to pick herself up if she falls so like emulating a burpee or something like that so I think the biggest mistake that I've seen is that because the popularity of the things like the CrossFit games um, has come about and you have so many different boxes that are open, like the plus side of it is that so many different people from so many different walks of life at so many different ages are getting fit and different abilities. You've got a major push with now um, you know, handicapable type of accessibility type and adaptive athletes and that type of thing. So people are training all over the world. And that's a great thing about CrossFit because we're getting people in there. But when people get so into the competitive aspect of it and try to train like they're a pro athlete or try to win every workout and sacrifice proper movement because they're trying to win every workout, that type of thing, that's where I think it's really gone astray. Um, now, maybe I'm biased because I am an average you know, recreational CrossFitter. I'm a coach. I'm someone that is looking to just get as many college students fit and as many people fit as possible. 
they're not going to the CrossFit Games. They're not going to be qualifying to be professional athletes. We're talking about when you see that, when you look at how many people participate in the CrossFit Open versus how many people make it to ESPN, right? You're talking about the top 0.1, of the population. That's not everybody, right? And what we're trying to do mm -hmm. is have this like general program that gets everybody healthy, gets everybody moving and fit and that type of thing. So overtraining and trying to compete all the time, I think is the biggest mistake. And I'm guilty of it, man. Like I'm guilty of training like I'm, like I'm going to be a pro athlete or something like that and just trying to smash multiple workouts every day. And, and honestly, mentally, it stressed me out. And I wasn't in a mentally good place until about two years ago when I crossed paths with Rob. And I just realized like, hey, man, this is about like coming in here, lifting heavy, having fun, slap some high fives, and then go do your life. Like do the things that you need to do to be successful in your life. And I think that's the, the best way to approach something like CrossFit. I like I like that a lot, man. Like there's like I'm I'm incredibly competitive as well. And for me, like I get so tunnel vision on things that like I know I'm missing things because I'm so dialed in on like a single thing in the distant future. But it's like it's it's I don't even know how to put this into words because it's just so complex, but you get so dialed in and fixated on a goal that you miss out on life. And then the whole net result of that is lagging performance, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you, you just you just had someone on the podcast, I think it might have been like your most recent episode of talking about, um, you know, talking about working towards your goals, but also enjoying the process, right? So she was talking about, and I forget her name, but she was, Kristen, she was talking yeah. about, What's that? Kristen? Yeah, Kristen. Yeah. She was, so she was talking about, you know, like leading up to her to her show and everything like that and her, and her fitness competitions. And the, I think she's a, a fitness model, right? Um, and, and then also a marathoner she talked about too, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so it's one of these things where she talked about like enjoying that the process of it all. And it's one of these things where like if you're not paying attention to the, like the, the, the seconds and the workouts and all the different things that are leading up to that end result, it is very easy to just get so fixated on that end result. And then if you miss it, right, like if you don't achieve it, then you could feel like a failure. And that's a tough place to be in. But conversely, if you hit it, but you haven't enjoyed the process and you don't know what the next thing is, like that success can be just as daunting. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done now. So, so what do I do next? And so I've tried to keep CrossFit and training as it's this thing that's like going to get me healthier. It's this thing that's going to have me look aesthetically the way I want to and from a health standpoint the way I want to. It's going to help my wife do the same. It's going to set a standard for my daughter and a, and a role model for my daughter. But it's not the end goal. Like I'm not competing to be at the CrossFit Games. So it's like if I go into a workout or into a local competition and I perform well, awesome. But if I don't, okay, cool. Like let's go grab dinner now and just hang out and talk about like how much fun we had. Like that's at least the approach that I try with it. But I'm also not as competitive in that sense. Like I'm not trying to be a pro athlete. Yeah. I would imagine having the daughter kind of really helps put things into perspective too and allows you to make those connections and realize that much easier. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I you know, I tell people all the time and, and I still get goosebumps thinking about it, but like when I, when my daughter was born, like when I saw her be born and then, for that next like 10 days, like when we're at home, um, holding her and she was, she was only like, she was four pounds and 11 ounces when she was born. Right. So she was born a little early, but either way she was really small. And so holding her and sitting there, I, my wife always tells a story has like, she thought I maybe was like, 
depressed or I was like, yeah, I didn't like them or something like that. Like she was worried because I'd be holding my daughter and I'd be crying or I'd be tearing up. And the reality is that just like my whole world totally changed. And it did become one of these moments where I'm like, I didn't know that I could love something this much. Like I really, really didn't know that. Um, but here I am. And everything else outside of that is pretty insignificant. If I get a call now that says, hey, I've got to go home because my daughter's vomiting or something like that, or she's really sick, like it doesn't matter what the workout is today. It doesn't matter what it was going to be. It's, it, it may not happen and that's okay. Or I may find a way to do something you know, quick to bot or something like that later on when my daughter's all good and bed to sleep. But it does change your perspective in terms of what's important. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool, man. You're gonna be you're gonna be a good dad. I, I got a good feeling. Thanks, man. I'm I'm trying. It's it's a it's a day to day process, man. I'm enjoying the process. We'll see what the end the end destination yeah. looks like. Absolutely, man. Well, what what's a what's on the forefront for you now? Like, what are you excited about going forward? Um, so in the in the keto space, man, I mean, I'm, we're excited about this uh, this website that uh, my, myself and my good friend Nicole launched. Um, she's someone that um, I worked with as a grad student, and uh, we've been friends for a long time. Um, she has her own uh, trials and tribulations and battles with with weight gain and weight loss and that type of thing. She's tried a, a whole bunch of different things, um, and so uh, so again, it's one of these things where like she's like one day just decided to ask me about all that weird butter and stuff I was putting in my coffee and. Um, Kind of talked her through it. She did her own research, and then and uh, yeah, she's. I mean, she's at the point now where she's six months in. She's down forty pounds. She feels amazing in terms of like her just mental clarity, her ability to function every day. And so, so her and I teamed up to uh, to launch this this uh, this site, the www.theketotheory.com, and it's just this idea of like trying to just like pay it forward, man. We're just we're sharing the success stories of keto, how people got to it, um, some of their tr- struggles, trials and tribulations, that type of thing. We're putting out as much information as we can and, and, and sourcing all the really, really big guns and, and all this really smart people out there talking about the science behind keto. Um, and it's just this like idea of like building this community where we can just share stories, share the information. And again, it's just a way of putting the information out there, take it or leave it. But if you got questions about it, like reach out, man, catch us on Instagram, email us. Like we're here to help. We're here to guide as many people as we can um, and just kind of pay this forward because like I, I can't thank my buddy enough for just texting me and saying, yeah, why don't you try keto? And, and I think Nicole feels the same way. And so we're just trying to put it out there and hopefully other people will catch on to this thing. Paying it forward like that and adding value to the community is like the most rewarding aspect of everything that I do. And and I'm excited for you to do this because, I mean, you can fully relate with that. And once you kind of get the foundation of, you know, the nutrition, the diet, I mean, obviously you're always learning you're always growing, you're always making improvements. But when you're able to like take what you've learned and give back to the community, that's like the next level of improving yourself as an individual as well. Like it's like you, it gives you a reason to keep doing this in the first place. And that's, I mean, yeah, I can't put enough emphasis on that because that's truly an amazing thing you're doing. Thanks, man. I, one, of, one of the things that you just remind me of is that um, one of the big coaches in, in the CrossFit world, uh, Ben Bergeron, he's, he's coached um, Matt Fraser and Katrin Davis, who, who both won the CrossFit Games on multiple occasions. Um, one of the things that he talks about is how you give and how you, like what true service is. And, uh, and I'm paraphrasing certainly, but what he talks about is this idea that you, you donate money, that that's, money's replenishable, right? Like it's something that it's, you, can, you can make more money. Whereas... Mm-hmm when you donate your time and you invest your time in giving that back. So like 
service to the community, whether it be in the form of sharing the information, putting out content and trying to pay it forward that way, like you can't replace that, right? Like you can't make more time. Once it's gone, it's gone. And so that's the ultimate way in his eyes to kind of pay this thing forward. And so um, that's just one of the things I'm trying to try to think about is this idea that like, if someone wants to sit there and talk with me and pick my brain on keto stuff and everything, I'm not going to force it on anyone's throat. But if someone wants to sit there and talk with me, I can talk about it for 45 minutes, an hour. Like I'm a long-winded type of guy as you, as you pick up on. So I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to invest my time in that. And that's like the best way that I think I can give back. In time, I mean, kind of like what you said at the very beginning, like time is finite. So that's, I mean, being willing to invest that into people, that that's a, a far greater you know, resource that you're offering more so than any monetary amount, anything, any of that. I mean, being able to to give your time to somebody and truly genuinely care about, you know, how, how they use it and, and improve from it. I mean, that's, again, man, I, I really, really commend you for what you're doing there. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Where can people go to find out more about you? Check out the so, website and all that. Yeah, so they can check out the website at theketotheory.com. Um, I'm also available um, at KetoDadBod on Instagram. Um, so I'm always answering questions and putting workouts up there and stuff like that. So um, generally what I'll try to do if I hit a pretty good workout is I'll uh, you know take a quick clip of like one of the rounds or something like that and put it up there for people to find it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm available there. Um, you know, if people want to email us and question us, theketotheory at gmail.com. I mean, we're, we're out there. We're trying to roll this thing out and just get as much people informed as possible man and I, and I appreciate you uh giving me the space to, to talk a little bit about it with you yeah absolutely man i'll link out to it as well make it easy for people to find it um very cool man very cool well i'm definitely gonna stay in touch because like i said you got some you're making waves right now and i'm excited for all you get in the pipeline so um <laughs> we'll definitely be in touch man because i'm excited for you thanks man i appreciate it robert